Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of Rikindi. Today we're joined by Adam Brownlee. Adam is an expert in all things happiness, and uh, today he's here to share with us a little bit about this topic and his new book that he's writing um, about how to cultivate happiness in your life. So, Adam, thank you so much for joining us today and welcome. Thanks, Alexa. Awesome. So, Adam, to begin with, I'd like you to just introduce yourself, tell everyone about you, what led you to where you are today? Oh, I don't know how much to tell. Yeah, started off as a farmer, born into a farming family, raised on the farm, studied farming, went and worked on the farm, and then, yeah, decided that I wanted to do something bigger. So ever since then, I've been looking at ways to teach social and emotional skills, like relationship skills, because I think this is so important to everything we want, like everything we want to achieve, it involves people and the better relationships we have with people, the better we can achieve that. But yeah, with this book, I think more recently I've been seeing a lot of people who as happy as they could be, like they've got, they're worrying about how they're going to achieve their goals soon enough or whether they're on the right path or they've just got general worries about the future or ruminations about the past and there's solutions out there. It's not well known. It's not taught at school. That's where I think it should be taught. I should be teaching at school how to forgive, how to overcome resentment and how to overcome these negative emotions but so people are out there just struggling looking for solutions and like clinging on to what they can so I thought it was really important to try and get the message out there about how to to find happiness awesome awesome no that's really cool and Adam what do you define as happiness and why is understanding happiness so important so what is happiness yeah that's probably one of the big things is that so many people not even sure how to define could I ask you, what, how would you define happiness? Because it'll give a reflection of, like, I think, the common answers that we get or mm. ha- how do you define happiness? I'd probably say that happiness is a state of being or an emotional um, point, I guess. Yeah. Um, so if you are feeling really good and positive, um, although I wouldn't say that you can potentially be happy all the time, I would say that, um, you know, with emotions, each emotion is um a reaction of something. So if there's something pleasing or just that doesn't just sit right, then for you to try and be happy, even in an uncomfortable situation, may be masking something. So maybe being aware of, okay, what do I feel right now? And if I'm feeling sad, okay, why do I feel sad? And then, oh, wow, okay, something's invoking happiness. Why do I feel happy? Yeah. And then maybe working towards those sort of. Yeah. So this is all about how to get happiness, how to manage happiness, I think. And that's common, the commonly the answer I get when asking people what happiness is, they'll say, oh, it's that time I spend with my sister having a coffee or the time with my family or seeing the sunrise. And they name all these things that make them happy. So I think it's important to, to define what happiness is. And I think happiness really is the absence of suffering. So happiness is a feeling. I think we could all agree with. And yeah, how, how do you feel when you're not suffering Mm. you're content and contentment is happiness so happiness isn't like joy so joy and bliss these are like the ultimate like higher levels of happiness and then you've got like exhilaration and euphoria and all these like way up here whereas happiness is just contentment okay and if we've got no suffering then we're content so when you look at that it sounds very achievable okay if so for instance but 
wouldn't contentment just be like a plateau? Or is, wouldn't happiness be like a, or would you say, you would say that a neutral is happiness? Yeah, happiness. So when you are not suffering, when you've got no worries on your mind, you've got no, yeah, no, no suffering, how do you feel? Yeah, so I guess from a Buddhist standpoint, mm. to remove all suffering is happiness. So I yeah. guess, yeah. Yeah, and so it's yeah, very important to be like, all these other things are good, but really all we want, like our goal in life in general is to be happy, and that is to be content, and that is to remove suffering. So our goal is to keep, I think, so yeah, like everyone knows, we've got these fluctuations up and down. And we need those to be happy. We need motivation. And that comes from being uncomfortable. That motivates us. So when we're a little bit hungry, we're a little bit uncomfortable. And we eat. if we didn't get uncomfortable, we wouldn't eat. We wouldn't sleep. Like when We wouldn't feel a little bit uncomfortable, a bit tired. So we need to feel a little bit uncomfortable. So what the goal is to stop those dips from going too low and for too long and keep those highs uh, as much as possible. So why take away bliss? Why take away the higher levels of happiness? So if we can manage our emotions so that we maintain our highs and minimize our lows, then I think that's a good goal. Awesome. So how would you say that people can manage those highs and lows? What tools can they use or yeah. um, what does that look like? There's lots. It's not simple. It's not a one, a one trick pony. You can't just be grateful or just practice mindfulness, just be in the present moment. You can't just have purpose or can't just forgive or have positive thoughts. All these things are components and you need all of them. And so a couple, like all those are all going to help to tie them all together. We can talk about the happiness helix. So that's when the happier we are, the easier it is to do things that make us happy. When we're feeling good, we've had a good day, it's very easy to go home and cook a healthy meal, maybe go walk the dog because we've, we've got energy, we've got motivation. But say we've had a crappy day, like things just haven't gone our way and we come home feeling terrible, we just want to lay on the lounge, we don't want to lift a finger, we couldn't be stuffed doing these things that are going to bring us joy, like preparing this good food, doing exercise, socializing, we don't want any of that. So this is like the example of how the happier we are, the easier it is to be happy. The easier it is to do all those things. And so I'd summarize it in five things or six things. Eating well, sleeping well, socializing well, eating, sleeping, exercising, socializing, and having good beliefs. And then there's novelty. If you can mix a bit of novelty into your day, then that's going to bring you joy too. And having good beliefs. Okay, cool. So let's break those down very briefly. So talking yeah. about sleep, what does that look like? So sleep is waking up refreshed. It's different depending on some people's seven hours, some people nine hours, something around that. But if we've got good quality sleep, then we can bring it back. So yeah, sleep is pretty simple. Get good sleep and your body then is in a state that it can have these, it's easier to have these positive emotions. A big thing about sleep is that it strengthens your prefrontal cortex control over your amygdala. And so your amygdala is your emotional center. So it's the part that can take you on these big downs and your prefrontal cortex can overpower that if you're rested. So that's one real powerful thing of having good sleep. Mm -hmm. Awesome. And so eating well? 
So yeah, eating well is just having the nutrients there you need to build. So happiness is this feeling of contentment. And when we feel content, we've got the right balance of serotonin, dopamine, and oxytocin. When we've got those right, we feel happy. And if they're higher, we feel bliss. But if we don't have the nutrients there to build these neurotransmitters or to facilitate their transmission, then it's, we can't be happy, can we? It's about, yeah, having the building blocks for that. And a lot of it's amino acids. So a lot of these amino acids we can get just by eating them. Some our body has to build. We can't, we can't eat them. So then you've got to build, eat the building blocks for them. And it's also about having not too much fat and salt because then these can change how the whole system works and it may not be as efficient. And then also eating carbs. It's really important to have carbs because we need carbs to get serotonin into the brain to feel good. And then that helps us sleep too. Generally, as a rule, if you just eat whole foods, you'll be pretty good. And the problem with processed foods is to get all these building blocks that we need for happiness. We're going to be eating a mountain food. We're going to have all these calories. We're going to be like put on excess weight. And again, this is going to be hard. It doesn't help us be happy. Yeah, best to eat whole foods. Yeah, because even with carbohydrates, different carbs obviously are processed differently in your body. So if you're having complex carbohydrates compared to ones that are deep fried and saturated fat, they can clog up your arteries and exactly what you're saying, allow your cells to not divide properly. Uh, Because each one of your cells, as you're mentioning, it it builds up your body and who you are. And if you're not eating properly, your cells can't divide properly. Yeah. It could lead to so many things. I think it's like your body, every cell in your body replaces itself. Every, what, three months or a few years or something? It's amazing. So you can literally alter your entire body, even let's say in a year. You, not an interview would be how it was a year ago. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Yeah, no, it's interesting to think of yourself as being a whole new being. Mm. And that's what I love to look at food is how many, not so much, and I understand calories are important to a certain extent, but what's the nutritional value in what you're eating versus like, because for example, you can have a Big Mac, let's say that's 500 calories. Yeah. And the same time, you can also have a beautiful steak or a, I don't know, a, a giant bowl of vegetables and beans and so on. Yeah. Even though all three would have the same calorific yep. intake, yep. they would have completely different nutrient yeah, densities. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. If you're going to eat that healthy option, the less processed option is going to have a much higher bang for your buck, giving you the nutrients you need to build these neurotransmitters to be happy. Mm, awesome. So we're looking now at having, what did you say, seven to eight hours sleep a night? Yeah, waking up refreshed. Yeah. So is there it's, a minimum there? or I think generally everybody's body is different, but I think generally it's seven, seven that you need. But yeah, you should wake up feeling refreshed because it also depends on the quality. So if you're not happy, probably won't be sleeping so well. So you're probably going to need more sleep. The better you can get your sleep, the more efficient you're sleeping, you can probably have a bit less. Yeah, wake up refreshed. And even on that standpoint, I guess for people who are struggling to fall asleep, taking ice cold showers or baths, and then at night making sure that there's not blaring light, we're not looking at our phones, we may have blue blockers or things like that to help wind us down. Do you have any other pointers while we're just touching on sleep and then on nutrition that people can utilize in order to maximize yeah. Cycles. yeah, there's heaps of, there's so many things that affect our body. Mm. 
like just for example, not eating enough carbs and not getting the serotonin to your brain, which we need to relax and to sleep. Another one is mindfulness. So mindfulness, when we really work at our prefrontal cortex, we produce GABA butic acid, I think it is. And when we produce this, it helps us sleep. So doing some mindfulness and attentional mindfulness. So attentional mindfulness is when we bring our attention to something and focus our attention on that, whether it's something we can feel, something we can see, hear, or something we can feel our heart beating, we can concentrate on that. Just focusing our attention on something and activating the prefrontal cortex yeah, is really good for that. Mm. So yeah, making sure we've got the serotonin, make sure we've got the GABA, making sure we've, yeah, just trying to remember what else there is. So we want to make sure we're tired. That's not having naps, it's not having stimulants like coffee. And another big thing that makes it hard for people to sleep is an addiction to thinking. Mm. So a lot of people, when they lay down in bed at night, they want to go over the day. They want to relive those highlights. Yeah, it just brings us so much joy when we're reflecting on the things that went right today and we want to go over it again. And then those problems come to mind that we didn't quite solve today and those problems coming up tomorrow. And when we're laying there in bed, we just feel like I'm so close to solving this problem. If I just focus on this for five more minutes, I reckon I could come up with a solution. And an hour later, we're still laying there in bed, so close to solving that problem. So yeah, I call this an addiction to thinking when we can't put off our thoughts till later. Yeah, that's another big one. And we can overcome that with the same strategies we'd use to overcome any other addiction. So addiction to smoking or working or, yeah. Okay, so how, um, and that was a question I was going to ask anyway, is how would you overcome addiction then? And I guess what is addiction yeah. um, and how do you overcome that? So did you want to go quickly through these? Uh, yes, actually, other... that's a good idea. So yeah, we had sleeping, yeah. so exercising. Yep. Generally, it's again, it's just a general rule around 20 minutes a day. Going above that, we get reducing benefits, but leading up to that, we get heaps of benefits in our ability to produce these happy hormones. So yeah, seven to wake up feeling refreshed, 20 minutes of exercise per day, eating whole foods, socializing. Again, it's different for everyone, but having a sense of connection. And so if we want to improve our connection, we can do that with, so when we feel a sense of connection, it's that oxytocin, you know, so we produce oxytocin and we feel connected. And you'll notice that you feel connected to people that you feel you have empathy and trust for. If you find you're similar to them, like they look like you, they like the same things as you, they laugh at the same jokes, that's like empathy. That's shared values, shared interest, shared, we've got this together. So if you've got empathy, you produce oxytocin, you're connected. Same with trust. So if I trust you with something valuable, maybe I've shared with you some, some of my food, maybe I've shared some personal information about myself, then we'll feel a degree of trust and connection. So being vulnerable is a great tool to build this connection. And then the other one's physical touch. So giving hugs, handshakes, high fives. If we can mix a little bit of touch into our relationships, we can build that connection. Yeah. So if we've got good relationships, that's going to help us on our road to up the happiness helix. Mm, awesome. Then novelty. So novelty is just mixing a little bit of something new into our day. So it can be just eating a different type of food. It can be just walking on a different route for our walk. It can be trying a new skill. It can be hanging a painting in a different 
like moving a painting, moving furniture, just making something a little bit different in our world will bring us a little bit of joy. When we see something different or hear something different, if we look out at a view that we haven't seen before, we feel joy. So if we can bring a little bit of novelty in our, into our life, then that's another good thing. And then beliefs, so beliefs is huge. And a great way to build good beliefs is with good foundational beliefs. So this is basically how we see the world works. Yeah. And that's actually a whole... That's a whole podcast. Yeah, on beliefs. And, and yeah. I do want to touch on that as well. So, yeah, let's go into beliefs then. Because so now you've just mentioned your five. So we're going... A way to help with happiness is good sleep, good nutrition. What else do you say? Exercise, yeah. connection, novelty. Yeah. yeah, I can't even rattle them off. <laughs> so we've got good food, good sleep, exercise, good socializing, good beliefs and novelty. Yeah, and touch. That good comes into good relationships. Yeah. Awesome. 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 Cool. Okay, guys. So that's good to remember. And so six in total. Uh, and that's a good way to, to see, are you incorporating all of those into your life? So tell us then about beliefs. So what are beliefs and why are they so important? Oh, beliefs. So beliefs affect everything. They're like our programming. So beliefs, depending on what we believe, determines what we do. So if we think we're going to get going into the sun, we're going to go into the sun. Like it changes. So yeah, beliefs determine our behaviors. So there's two, two main ways that beliefs affect our happiness. One is if we believe something's going to bring us joy, then we're more likely to do it, right? If we believe eating whole foods is going to make us happier, then we're more likely to do it. If we believe exercising for 20 minutes a day is going to make us happier, more likely to do it. Having beliefs that cause behaviors that lead to happiness is one, what do you call it? Value of having the right beliefs. The other way beliefs affect our joy is what we think. What we think is a massive determinant of what neurotransmitters are produced. If we interpret something as bad, we produce cortisol, we feel uncomfortable, we're not. If we interpret something as good, obviously the reverse. We feel, so if we have the foundational beliefs that cause us to interpret things as okay or good, then we're setting ourselves up to avoid these big dips. No, it's really true. And a way to, to, and you can probably touch on this, is a way to gauge what are my core beliefs. Because if you have from birth been exposed to specific situations or belief systems that you've, I guess, instilled within yourself and believe that which to be true, then you act upon that and therefore it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. And you don't know that you're heavily entrenched in a specific belief system. So a way to look at that is to watch your mind and watch your thoughts and without judgment, just saying, what am I thinking? What, how do I interpret this situation? Why do mm. I interpret the situation? Why do I interpret a relationship in this way? Why mm. am I attracting these people in my life? Mm. Why am I attracting these situations? What are those core beliefs? Yep. But not judging yourself, just recognizing and journaling has been, for me, so helpful because I can actually sit down and write. And over a period of time, like if you're reflecting almost every day, and there's something that keeps coming up, you can notice it because you keep writing about it all the time. Yeah, and you're like, yeah. why do I keep writing about this all the time? I'm getting yeah. bored of this because yeah. this is a story I'm creating for myself. Yeah. And if you want to change that story, change your beliefs. And placebo, yeah. like you were saying, how amazing your beliefs are to shift if you believe healthy food is good for you. Placebo is insane. Most of the time, a lot of the time, placebo can actually work better than the drug itself. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. Your mind is amazing. Yeah, no, placebo is a great tool, particularly for managing addiction. Yeah, if we believe something is going to make us feel something, often it does. If we feel that we can accomplish something, often it becomes easier. Yeah, that's that's yeah. beliefs in a nutshell. But yeah, to to have good foundational beliefs, like it's it is a whole podcast in itself. Yep. But I'd recommend belief like constant search for knowledge. Like you say, if you don't know what your beliefs are, then you can't change them. And so first you've got to say, what belief is causing this behavior? Or what belief is causing this thought? Me to assign that is bad. And then you can to address them. So we want beliefs that remove ourselves as the cause. Because quite often our negative thoughts are because, oh, that's my fault. I'm to blame for that. So if we can remove ourselves as the cause, then it can remove those negative thoughts. The other big thing that causes negative thoughts is a lot like a sense of justness. That's not fair. Why did this happen to me? Why did I miss out? And so if we can give ourselves a sense of justness, if we've got foundational beliefs that says this is right, this is what should have happened, then we'll, we're setting ourselves up to have more positive beliefs. So in regards to that though, like you were saying, if something goes wrong or rather than you saying it is me that's done this, don't you think that that's a good thing for you to take responsibility? Because sometimes this happens, yeah. I come and slap you and then yeah. I say, oh, that, that wasn't me. Um, I'm not to blame. But yeah. you're like, Alexa, you just hurt me. Yeah. So wouldn't that be you saying, okay, actually, I did slap you. That's horrible. I inflicted pain onto another. Okay, why did I do that? What's in with me that I need to inflict pain onto another? But if you're not self-aware yeah. and you take responsibility for your actions, then yeah. how can you change? Yeah. But then I guess people end up blaming themselves for the smallest things yeah. and then spiral down and say, my life yeah. is so bad because I'm so bad. And that's a belief that they're impinging on themselves and therefore it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Great question. Mm. And it's, yeah. Huge challenge. So we need to take responsibility. If we don't take responsibility, we don't feel the need to learn. So we need to say, look, I was responsible for that. So first of all, we need to define what is responsible. So responsible is what we can change in order to get a different result. And usually what we can change is ourselves, right? Yep. In fact, that's the only thing where we can change because we yeah. can't change another. We can't wish for yep. another to change. Mm -hmm. They have well, to change well the example I like to use is Ned Kelly, right? <laughs> Bush Ranger. Yep. He, he shot this police officer, right? And we held him responsible because he was what we could change in order to stop other police officers getting shot. So if we locked him up, took him to jail, locked him up, it's less likely police. So we hold him responsible because he's the thing that we can change uh, to stop it happening again. But what caused him to do that? The reason Ned shot the police officer is because the family he was raised in and his genetics. So the people, his past experiences caused him to believe that it was okay to do what he did. It was the right thing to do. It was just. So we can't blame him. Like he didn't choose to have those parents. He didn't choose to be brought up in this really tough life that he had. But he you know, this chose... Was, Sorry, this, he made that choice though. Not that, but each situation he could choose. Okay, do I want to become like yeah. that which I've grown up with or do I want to change? So when he made the decision to shoot that police officer, it was based on his beliefs. Our beliefs determine our behavior. He didn't choose those beliefs. Yep. Those beliefs were formed based on what he saw in his life. But there's one story that I, I'm sorry to interrupt, there's one story that I really resonate with and yep. I 
repeated it so many times because it, it just hits pretty core, cool, mm. is there's a set of twins, right? Yeah. They were born in an abusive household. Yeah. And one of the sons, the, the boy, he grew up and he was the most amazing husband. He loved his wife. He adored her. He adored his children. They adored him and it was a beautiful family. And the reporter said, how did you end up being such an amazing husband when you were brought up in such an abusive household. And he said, because I saw the pain, I felt the pain that was Mm. inflicted on me. Mm -hmm. Therefore, I would never want another to feel that pain in which I felt. So I strived to make sure that I I treated others with respect, built a strong Mm. family, because that situation caused a Mm. shift in my beliefs in saying, I do not want to be like this. Then they interviewed the other twin, and he was horrible, abusive, drug addict, alcohol, everything. Why are you like this? Because this is all I've known. I mm. grew up with this. Therefore, yeah. how can you blame me? No. So, the, and that's where the same thing with the two wolves. Everyone has two wolves yeah. in their mind. Which one do you feed? Yeah. Is situations will always happen. In fact, even if you look throughout the animal kingdom, mm. suffering is inevitable. It's everywhere. It's mm. everywhere. But we as humans can choose. We can look at that and say, all right, I've experienced this suffering. Now, what can I do? I can mm. either continue that cycle and I know what that suffering is going to lead to more suffering. Or am I going to say, actually, I'm going to shift and make a positive difference? Or So if we just look at what you just said there. No, please. I know that this is going to cause more suffering. Say one twin knew that, right? One twin was like, hey, if I do what my parents did, I know this is going to cause more suffering. The other twin was different. The other t- twin was like, I've seen what my parents do, and that is good. I'm going to do that. Is that right? One was not. One was saying, "This is all I've known." This is all I've known. So how could so I? So they didn't different? know anything else. This other twin knew something different. He knew he could do something different, right? This twin didn't know that. But there has to be something. If they were both brought up in the exact same mm. environment, so did they read the same books? Did they have the same friends? Did they watch the same things on TV? So you- did they have the same conversations with their aunts and uncles? But then that means, that- according to you, then you're forever trapped in your path. But then what's the point in anything if you can't change anything? There's ah, no this is another very good point in having good foundational beliefs, right? Because this is a huge problem. Uh, a lot of people have found, found foundational beliefs that give them a sense of justness with everything that happens and that gives them a sense of it's not me that's the cause. I'm res- we'll just say that. I'm not the cause of this. And then they lose hope. They're like, what's the point? Everything's just. Everything is as it should be. What's the point? So then they find themselves trapped in negative thoughts. Because they're like, um, well, wasn't I, 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 yeah. I'm stuck in this. And that's not self-help. That's not mm. growth. That's not. Yeah. Of course. So it's very change. important that if you've got these two foundational beliefs that limit our troughs, the depth of our troughs and how long we're in these troughs, that we also have this other foundational belief. And that is life is worthwhile. That we get rewarded for the effort we put in. No, well, the- so the example I like to use for this is reading a book. When we read a book, the end is already set, right? It doesn't change day in, day out. You read the book today, it finishes the same way you read it tomorrow. But we still read it for the joy of finding out how it finishes. So even though feeling that everything is justified can make you wonder why, what's the point? We can live for the joy of seeing what happens tomorrow. See, I don't know if I fully believe that everything, like I, I, I look, free will is a whole different conversation, yeah, yeah. but I do genuinely believe that. And there's that quantum eraser effect, yeah. which is like 
the past, present, future is all happening simultaneously. And what you yeah. do now can actually potentially influence the past and yeah. obviously influence the future. But the future doesn't exist yet. It's like a, a, a giant soup of different possibilities. Yeah. And until it's been um, viewed, it then collapses and solidifies. Look, I'm sure there's many theories on how reality works. I'm no yeah. expert by any means. But uh, the brain, I know, is subject to neuroplasticity. Neurons that fire together wire together. Yeah. Therefore, who you were when you were six and what yeah. you experienced when you were 10 can define you for the rest of your life, but it doesn't need to because your brain, you can rewire your brain yeah. with those those core beliefs with the set of twins. Somebody just has to go to that one twin or yeah. he just has to come across some stimulus, yeah. something yeah. to say to him, actually, I don't have to be like this anymore. Exactly. I can change. He has to have that trigger. Then it, I, I guess there's also... If, there's so much environmental stimulus that your yeah. your filters yeah. or pre-filters, yeah. even if there's a big sign saying, and dude, change, he yeah. won't even see it. He's 100%. Like, 100%. No, but then that, there has to be something though. There has to be something to shift that, like rehab or like a rock bottom or you've seen yeah, total experience. drug addicts. At home. It depends on what our experience are. If we experience rock bottom, that's going to change our future beliefs. If we experience, that's going to change our future beliefs. I just feel one is saying I can I'm in the driver's seat, and that makes me not like hopeless or yeah. What's the point? I can mm. actually steer the ship and mm. say, hang on a second, that's not the right move. That is the right move. Okay, let's steer the ship this way. Oh wow, okay, that's a bad turn. Okay, no, that's fine. Back up. Let's yeah. try again. That to me just seems so much more plausible than so much more joy. Maybe the idea that I have control. So there's something another I could tell you about is the uh, the four types thoughts that bring us joy. So if something gives us hope, it brings us joy. So hope is the idea that we have a quality or we are soon going to have a quality. So it's the idea that I am smart, rich, famous, whatever, or I will soon be smart, rich, or I will soon go on a holiday. And then I'll have that quality of have been on a holiday. So hope is one, control is another one. The idea that I have control over the situation brings us a lot of joy. The idea that I can leave this room whenever I like, if that door was locked and I can only leave when you told me I can leave, I'm not so happy as when I can leave whenever I like. And that goes with anything in our life. The more things we have control over, the more joy we have. Hope, control, justness. So when we feel like something is fair, is right, then we have joy. And so that could be splitting something 50-50. If we feel someone brought in a chocolate bar here and said, hey guys, you can have this. It seems fair to split it 50-50, right? But what if you pulled out your chocolate bar out of your bag? Then maybe it's fair just to give me like a little bit because it was whatever we, however we interpret the situation, if we think it's fair and just, then we have good thoughts. Now the last one has escaped me. Hope, control, justness, and no, I have to leave it. But yeah, control is a huge, so there's these four thoughts. And if we have them or don't have them determines if we produce cortisol or dopamine generally. Wow, yeah. I saw one experiment where they took monkeys and they placed them like in cages and I think they, they were giving the one like a grape and the other yeah. one a grape and they're like, oh, yeah. And then they gave the one two grapes and the one one. And then rather than the one taking his one grape and eating it, he looked just, what, why does he get two grapes? And he uh, threw his grape uh, back at the yeah. guy. And that's the just thing. Like, Hang on a second. Yeah. Uh, he got two and I only got mm. one. I don't want your stupid one. I want his two. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. And that in humans all the time. Yeah. And that's why social media is so bad. Because rather than you being so happy with your own life and working to cultivate your own life as best as you possibly can, yeah. you look at other people's lives and say, hang on a second, that yeah. that monkey has two. <laughs> yeah. I don't want my one. And little maybe if you kept your one and you 
grew it and, and nourished it and gave it the space, it grows into two, three, four. Yeah. But instead it you throw it away. Does it grow into two? Okay, so I think this is where it goes back to your future is like this open soup. There's so many different options. And so by you always working on yourself and like you're going back to those five things, getting good sleep, good relationships, yep. connection, exercise, and so on, touch, all of those things over time are, will compound. They, they, they will compound because your relationships, all these things, will they help mitigate. So I'm talking about the, the, troughs, yep. um, the peaks and troughs. Yep. So I think all sleep and exactly what you were saying before, sleep, food, all those things, they like stop losses when you trade in shares. Rather than you going fully down, you start to go down and then, oh, wait, I've just exercised. Oh. <laughs> so yeah. how can you possibly, how can that possibly not work out? Even if you've had all your money removed from you, you can still go for a walk and you still will feel good directly after that. You, and through that, you're stimulating mm. more of your neurons. Your cells are dividing better. So now you're feeling healthy, happy. And now you can start to, what, create a new business or Think about ideas to solve problems. You wouldn't be able to problem solve if you're depressed. Problem is, you can go for a walk and feel sad while we're walking. We've got to have the whole package. It's a package deal. And we've got to have the good thoughts. Maybe um, the negative thoughts, if you do have negative thoughts. Okay, so there's two ways I'd say to even so, look at this. Is like, okay, so you have a negative thought that says you're not good enough. Maybe you look at that thought and you say, okay, why do I feel that I'm not good enough? Yeah. What can I do to change that? So I recognize, okay, I am obviously yeah. having this belief system that keeps coming back. Yeah. Okay, why do I have this belief system and how can I change this belief system? But then there's another one that says the more you think about it, and that's why sometimes psychology, like it's good to sit and work through things with people, yeah. but sometimes if somebody will keep coming to you and saying the same thing over and over again, it becomes like chewing gum because the more they talk about it, the more they love it because then they think about it and yeah. then they act through that. And then they're like, whereas mm. if you say, actually, I'm not that story anymore. I see that, I recognize it, but actually I'm going to do something different. Yeah. Then those neurons are starting to fire and wire and work yeah. together and rechange your entire brain neurochemistry or the, the yeah. way that you think, your, your neural branches. Yes. Yeah. We could probably move on to our two types of beliefs. Yep. So we've got emotional beliefs and rational beliefs. So emotional beliefs are like what you're talking about. And actually both of them, the more you repeat them, the stronger they get, the more likely they're going to affect your behavior. Your emotional beliefs is your association. So you associate this feeling, this trigger. It can be as simple as you see this color and you feel this mood, or you see this person and you feel this emotion. Yeah. And to, so to change these beliefs, so a, a common reason we'd want to do that is if we've got a fear of something. So we've got a fear of spiders, right? And it doesn't matter if the spider's dangerous or not dangerous. If it's just like a house, a harmless house spider, and we see it, we feel this fear, then that's a belief. We feel that we should feel that way when we see that. So that we need to associate. So we know it's an emotional belief when have no rationale. Like, why am I scared of that spider? It's harmless. So if we have a no rationale as to why we have that behavior, then it's emotional and we need to associate a new emotion with it. The other type is rationale, rational beliefs. And that's when we like, we have a reason for it. And the reason doesn't have to be scientific. We can believe in God because we've read the Bible and it talks about the miracles that he's allowed people. And that can be our rationale for that belief. Depending on what belief is causing our behavior, we can take a different path to change that belief. Yeah, That's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. And in terms of beliefs, that obviously intertwines with decision-making. 
And so very briefly, and this would cross over from probably what we've already said, but how would you walk us through decision-making and how can you shift that? That's through beliefs. Yeah. So the reasons decisions is important for happiness is it's our decisions that determine. Yeah. If we wanted to say one thing determined our happiness, it would be our decisions. Our decisions determine what we think and what we do. And those two things determine happiness. We think happy things, we feel good. We do the right things, do those five things, we feel good. So yeah, decisions are really important. And so it's really important to understand how we make decisions. And yeah, it's a lot about our beliefs. We see a stimulus, whether it be a person or a piece of food or something, we see something and we make a decision. So we see the stimulus and a calculation is made and then we make an action. It's just like a chain reaction. Yeah. And I, I guess the, the biggest thing, biggest point that I want to make about that is that we don't have control over our decisions. Something has to have control over something, right? And what controls our decisions is our beliefs. And then what controls our beliefs is what we've been exposed to or what we've been conscious of. So well, what you've been conscious of, because even once again, if you've been exposed to something, that doesn't necessarily mean that you'll repeat that because then that means that, yes, we've, we know now that memory has been passed down through our DNA. So as you can get like transgenerational trauma or for example, just and the reason being from an evolutionary standpoint is if our ancestors have solved a problem much faster, then by them passing that information down to their offspring in a quicker manner will allow them to overcome those obstacles. And so taking rats and putting them on mice and putting them in a cage, a maze, the first generation will take a bit longer to find the cheese than the second generation. And so then it's okay, that can happen. But similarly, you can shift and change. And because of that's where evolution comes in, you can change. You've got junk DNA. Most of your DNA is malleable. Yeah. And what causes that to change? Even your, so even within your DNA, you can have cancerous DNA that's passed down. However, your environment will cause some of those to trigger or not trigger. Your cortisol levels will cause some of those to trigger or not trigger. Yeah. So even within your basic building blocks, they can completely shift and change and yeah. express themselves completely differently yeah. based on your environment, but not even your environment, how you react to your environment, which yeah. is crazy. But even when you're talking about decisions, it's so weird because they've done experiments where like they cut, they severed the left and right hemisphere of a person. Yeah. And then they got like, they asked the left side to do something like go to the fridge while blocking yeah. it so the right side couldn't see. And obviously yeah. your left hemisphere controls your right side and your right hemisphere left side. Anyway, so they asked the one side while blocking it, go to the fridge. And so then you will get up and start walking to the fridge. And then they'll ask the left side, hey, why are you walking to the fridge? Oh, I'm just getting something to drink. That had no idea that mm. they were actually going there because yeah. they got told to. Yeah. So then you sometimes wonder like, what even is you and what makes your decisions? And then we even talk about food, like eat healthy. Mm. Apparently your microbiomes will also dictate what you should and shouldn't be eating. Yeah. So you'll say, no, but it's me. It's Alexa. I'm the one that's choosing to mm. eat chocolate or not eat mm. chocolate. No, it's actually an entire civilization living yeah. inside of your gut. Yeah. And that's what goes down to free will. It's like what even is free will. But then I guess you can't go too far down that rabbit hole or else you'll never do anything. And so then that's why taking control and being in the driver's seat is saying, actually, I can change. Actually, so I Why won't you do anything? Because then what's the point? Oh, my whole life's already been scripted. Yeah. No, I think that's bull. I think that's- like, It's unpleasant. It's an unpleasant feeling because no, you've got no control. But, but that's why I, I, I strongly believe that you do. I strongly believe that you do. Because your brain is subject to your, your DNA will change based on how you interact with your environment. 
people can go from one end and completely shift and change to something completely different years later. You were just telling me all the reasons affect our decisions. Four, the microbiome in our stomach, the environment affects our DNA, like all these things affect our decisions. But maybe you can even with your microbiomes, for example, you can have a feces transplant or if you want to go not as drastic, yeah, so let's, eat let's, differently. Let's just keep it simple. Let's do one thing. Yeah. Feces transplant. Why are we going to take it do that? Yeah, there's a decision to do that. Yeah, and what caused that? Okay, so maybe, okay, maybe you're unhappy all the time yeah. and you've started putting on a lot of weight and you're like, okay, I need it. This is unhealthy. People around me are telling me that I'm, mm. I'm unhealthy. Okay, how, I need to change this. So therefore, I'm going to a doctor or somebody and they'll say, actually, your gut, you probably benefit from feces transplant. Yeah. So maybe that's an external force. So that was a, an experience. We had the experience of talking to this doctor that says, hey, let's give you a feces transplant. And now that's changed your beliefs. You now believe that's a possibility. Yes. Whereas before you didn't. So then that means that the future is so open to shift. As long as you recognize that you can change, you then changing your beliefs to say, actually, I can change. Therefore, you're, you're more likely to pick up things in your environment that will so help you change. You can't choose to change your beliefs unless you've had a trigger to trigger that. Hopefully for everyone so, listening, the trigger could be, you can't can change. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, reading, so I'm writing a book and say I publish my book and you happen to buy it and read it, that's going to change your beliefs. If you don't believe it, then you'll never be exposed to those ideas and it's unlikely that you'll come to believe that. If someone's writing a book over in China at the moment, it's written in Chinese, I'll probably never read it. I'm never going to be exposed to those ideas. I'm never going to come to believe that. Oh, and this is what goes back to you saying in the beginning is knowledge. So in order to grow and shift and change is really mm. exposing yourself yeah. to as much knowledge as you possibly can because once those ideas yeah. become reality, then you recognize, wow, there's a different yeah. way of being. Yeah, that's awesome. Knowledge, knowledge releases us from suffering. Wow. So, yeah. yeah. Did it impose suffering though as well? Because you learn about the wars that happen in other countries and you learn about the suffering of animals. Like I thought at one point everyone was blissfully happy and the animal uh, kingdom was the Garden of Eden until I looked outside and saw like worms laying eggs and insects' brains and I was like, oh, that's disgusting. So much suffering. Worms and insects' brains. <laughs> yeah, it's like a, a worm that lays its eggs inside of an animal's eyeball and then eats itself out. So if, if we've got the knowledge on how to make money, it frees us from destitution, right? If we've got the knowledge of how to remove disease, it frees us from sickness. If we've got the knowledge on how to forgive, it forgives. It, it, it frees us from resentment. So knowledge just frees us from all types of suffering. The more knowledge we have, the, the happier our potential, like the more potential happiness we have. So yeah, knowledge is a great thing. And, and so the more we know about the future, so a lot of what causes us uncomfortable feelings is an uncertainty about the future. If we've got knowledge, if we know, so we're anxious about how we're going to perform on the test. If we know our results, then that anxiety goes away. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people say our suffering comes from a difference between reality and our imagined reality. If we've got no imagined reality, like if we know what reality is, then it removes that suffering. But do we, so, does, do we ever really know what reality is? Because even like my view of myself, for mm, example, would mm, be very different to your view of me, yeah. which would be very different to somebody else's view of me. Mm. So therefore, even who I think I am, was it, I, I'm not who I think I am, who you think I am or something. <laughs> yeah, like, no, we are so complex and, and the world is so complex. And reality, the fabric of reality is so complex. Yeah, 
and our brains are so simple that like it's hard for us to comprehend and we can't know everything we're not we don't have the capacity to to know like to compute that so emotions are our what do you call it decision making tool so it ta- it says based on my past experience this is most likely to get me the outcome that I want so I'm going to call that good I'm going to give you feel good emotions if you do that and this is most likely to be bad it's just our best guess based on a past experience it's our emotions are like our, our statistics that's how AI makes decisions it's just statistics statistically that is a cat I've seen that statistically based on what I've seen in the past that's a cat um, well, apparently we do that as well. It's just that because once again, we've been engaging and interacting with our environment for like hundreds of thousands of years, we still do that association in our brain. We yeah. don't just see a cat. How do you see a cat and know that's a cat? Yeah. Based on years and years and years of our ancestors and so on saying, hey, that's a cat. Yeah. And then when we're little, we see tons of pictures saying, cat goes, meow. <laughs> so at the time you hit a bit older, you're like, oh, of course that's a cat. Uh, so AI, we're just training it from... And we also look at things and say, that's good or bad. So we see a spider and we're like, that's bad. And they like learn I'm... about the spider and you become like a yeah. an animal lover or an mm. insect lover. And then you see a spider and you're like, wow, look how intricate this thing is. Did you know that it eats or flies? Wow. Yeah. yeah. It's eyes. It sees so differently to us. Yeah, it's interesting. But I like what you're talking about with information because... On the one side, information can inhibit you, or not inhibit you, but if you spend too much time reading about all the horrors that are happening in the world, you can actually get really depressed because then it feels like the sense of helplessness, but you're also expanding your knowledge. So that, I think, comes back to your foundational beliefs. If you've got foundational beliefs that causes you to see that and interpret that as bad, then you're going to feel uncomfortable about that. But how could you not if you're seeing like soldiers in war, like fighting each other and like Russia and Ukraine or... Yeah. Pakistan and Israel. Yeah. I don't know if that would bring anyone joy except maybe no. large corporations who no. maybe. No, that's the whole point of my book. Like, I think if people more understood how we make decisions and how, um, what causes those decisions, then it would be easier for us to forgive. And if we can forgive, then we can reduce these wars. Like, oh, they, your family killed my grandfather, so I'm going to get back at you. And then, oh, you killed my son, I'm going to get back at you. But if we can be like, hey, look, I know why you did that. Because it really hurt what my parents did to you. And I know that X, Y, and Z. So I understand why you feel like that and why you did that. And I'm going to forgive you for that. Then we could reduce a lot of suffering in the world. It's interesting because even with that, I think it's a bit of a morbid thought, but I think that there might always be war and always, unless we somehow form like one unified mind or something, but it just seems like it's, it's, it happens everywhere and has happened since the beginning of time, mm. that maybe we can start to work together to alleviate and forgive and let go. Uh, maybe our new generations can come up and say, actually, mm. we don't want to be like our forefathers. Maybe we want to try. But yeah, that's one of those, I pray for world peace. <laughs> no, I believe 100% it's coming. You reckon? 100%. That's awesome. With knowledge. The more knowledge we have, the more we'll be able to remove suffering. And so this is one of the great things about, yeah, so another interesting thing is happiness is available now. Infinite happiness. Scientists can plug electrodes into your brain in the right spot and give you infinite joy. But would you want that though? The problem is you'll no longer want to eat or sleep. Exactly. Because you have, it's like the guy who used to walk each day to the well to get a bucket of water to water his garden, right? And then they installed a, a pump 
and pump the water. He no longer had the need to do that task. And so if we have infinite joy on tap, why are we going to walk? Why, why are we going to do all these things that bring us joy? Why are we going to socialize? Why are we going to, we'll stop. So yeah, we have the ability to have infinite joy now to basically go to heaven. Even drugs, like there's mm-hmm. drugs out there that we could plug in. Like and, heroin, for example. And give us infinite joy. And society doesn't allow it because we will become a burden on society. We won't that want that person to die because we feel that's unjust for that person to die. So we've got to keep them alive. They're not bothering to feed themselves or do all these things that need to be done to keep them alive. So we've got to do that for them. So as society, we've decided that's not. And I think the reason society has done that is because of our desire for more. We want more life. We want more kindness, more joy, more happiness. We want more knowledge. Experience. And we're not going to get that if people are happy now, right? If people have this untapped joy. Yeah. But this desire for more, I think, is going to free us. It's going to bring us this ultimate happiness because every year we get smarter. Every year as a civilization, we know more, we get more knowledge, and we release ourselves from some suffering. But maybe from that point, though, okay, let's say that we start to become more and more, we mitigate against the downs and become more and more happy, right? If you had a choice, like we're talking about with the infinite happiness, yeah. would you want that? Because what makes your, it sounds weird, but like your sad moments mm. make your happy moments and like life, isn't life cool because it has sad times and happy times and anxious times and okay, you get super mm. stressed because you've got an exam coming up, but then you do the exam and then you've mm. got this relief. Ah. Oh, I did this exam, how cool. Yeah. But if you're just happy all the time, it's like, what's the difference between being happy all the time and being nothing? And actually, this is cool. Okay, and this is a question I would like to ask you. If it was okay to be sad, no one's going to buy my book. No, but, <laughs> but, but they would. Because this helps you, because there's so many people. And in fact, depression and anxiety are rising yeah. rather than more and more people are feeling depressed, anxious. I'm comparing myself against you. I'm comparing myself against other people. Uh, and comparison can sometimes be good if it's a motivator. But uh, a wise man, Mitch, actually told me uh, this, is comparison is the thief of joy. And I really like that. But no, so for example, I, I do think that th- what you're saying is incredibly valuable. If the problem at the moment in society is like you have companies like McDonald's, which are maximizing their profit. That's what they care about is profit maximization. They don't care that you're eating food that is got no nutritional value or very low and people are being born with all these deficiencies and so on from eating food that is just crap because you're not giving yourself the nutrients that it needs so if you have all these people that are sleeping well that are eating well that are connecting with each other that are connecting with nature how can that not be good for society that is of course that is of course that is part of life is the beauty to experience to fall in love to maybe feel vulnerable to take that risk to maybe fail but then to try again and succeed. But if I just gave you everything on a silver platter. I'd be happy. Would you though? Because you think you would. But if you look at film stars who have made millions, child stars who made all their money when they were younger so they never know anything else, maybe generational wealth. They were born with millions, so they've never experienced adversity. I've been surrounded by some of those people and they're not happy. Look at suicide rates for people who are celebrities. I don't think it's the ability to overcome obstacles and do that with joy and wow, I overcame this obstacle. Oh, wow, I get that relief. Okay, cool. What am I going to do next? I'm going to hike up that hill and take that pail of water. Yeah, no, an interesting thing I think is the, the ice baths. Yes. So ice baths, we feel really good afterwards. 
because of the suffering we've just gone through. Yes. Yeah, we're in such desperate need for joy that we inflict suffering on ourselves to experience some joy. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. but as long as that suffering's not like. But this is basically what you're saying. You're like, we want you want suffering in your life. Okay, to so, make the joy more. Okay, so there's a there's a philosophical question, right? And it's saying, okay, there's a button. Okay, so you and I we we die, and now our souls go out into Earth, and you and I are looking at Earth, and we press the button. And by pressing the button, we can rejoin back, but we don't know that we're going to be born into our bodies. We can be born into anything. Now, if you look at the animal kingdom, most of it is suffering. In fact, being humans is we're pretty far up on the food chain. We don't have to worry about getting eaten by the lion. Not only that, we're in Australia. So we're in a quite a wealthy, safe country compared to the rest of the world. So we really are, in terms of the lottery, doing pretty well comparatively. Yeah. So we have probably like a 90% chance of being born into anything else. Would you press that button to re-enter Earth? Which also the same light means by, by I think it's by not pushing, no, by, by pushing the button, you could end all of Earth. You could end all suffering forever. In fact, all those souls, let's say everyone has a soul, and that all of that, you'll give everyone bliss because all suffering will end. Mm. And we would live in eternal happiness. Would you push that button? I guess you still exist, so your story is going to keep on unfolding. No, but so, you wouldn't. So what I'm saying, no, so that, with this philosophical question, is, yeah. no, you wouldn't exist. By pressing that, you're giving everyone like permanent yourself. happiness, including yourself. Ah, Permanent so happiness you forever. Exist. Well, you, but, but so, you're living in a permanent, so, just, so you're living in this permanent happiness, right? I would say that, and some people that I've spoken to would say they wouldn't push the button, they would push the button to end all suffering because they'd rather have no suffering. But pressing, by choosing to press the button or not pressing the button is the same question to say, do I want to watch a movie? Because all of us have a beginning and an end. And the beginning is the beginning of that movie. And all of us know one day we're going to die. And that's the end of that movie. And the movie could be good and filled with joy. It could be filled with suffering. But maybe the best movies are the ones where there's adversity, but we overcome those adversities using the most amazing tools that help mitigate against that. But if we've never experienced suffering, how do we even have the opportunity to learn these skills? Imagine if you even go to those twins, but rather than those twins come from an abusive relationship or upbringing, they come from a blissful upbringing. Now you give them a book and say, here's a book on happiness. I don't, what? I don't, I don't need to know about these tools. I don't even care. No, but of course, by, by using those tools, by experiencing adversity, they can actually better their lives. They might not even know that they could better their lives because they've never been exposed to that information to know that there is actually tools. I, I think it's suffering and adver- not suffering. I think adversity is good if you learn how to overcome them through tools. Do you want to know my answer? Yes. Yeah. I do. <laughs> <laughs> if we continue to exist, then obviously I think the obvious answer is to give bliss. The only reason I could see to pre- not press the button is if you're going to end and you no longer get to enjoy. Because nothingness, we don't know what that is. If, if you press the button, you're gone. We don't, I don't know what that is. Okay, but, okay, Adam, but pure bliss, isn't pure bliss the exact same as nothing? Because what makes something blissful? That you've experienced something that's not blissful. Yeah, yeah. so this is sounding like Buddhism or heaven, where they go to nirvana. And nirvana is apparently beyond our comprehension. Because it is nothingness and bliss at the same time. Okay, but do you want that though? Do you want to be in pure bliss all the time? Yeah. Why? Isn't the whole thing with life to experience, feel, touch, taste, cry, laugh, smile, fart, (laughs) and everything in between? So you like suffering? 
I don't like suffering. No, and it pains me to see right. it. But I've thought about this. Is, okay, if all of the animal kingdom experiences suffering, right, then through evolutionary development and humans, as far as we've seen, is part of that evolutionary development, right? We've maybe learned to overcome suffering more than other animals, but we still suffer, obviously, but we're overcoming that more and more. Imagine if you have some person, yes, who's reached this point where their life is just so rich and full, but they never would have ever, never would have experienced that if there wasn't all of this adversity to build up to something. And if you just get given that, it's nothing. So I would say it's actually cool to experience all these things and yes, have suffering if there is a way that at some point you reach not suffering, but not just be given that <laughs> or else it's just the same as nothing. It's the same as so choosing, do I want to watch a movie Let me not? sum that up. I want to watch a movie. <laughs> as long as you can escape suffering, you want suffering in your life. As long as there's some sort of opportunity at some point that I know that my life or what I'm doing will maybe help a future generation or maybe help someone to overcome something that I was going through. If I knew that my life could help somebody else get further than me, then yes, I would. But if my life meant nothing I could have done, and but through evolution shows us that naturally happens because ad adaptation causes a spur in or a, a branching in the population. So some creature will figure out a different way to do something and therefore they'll have a burst. And so then therefore they'll have adversity, they'll, die, they'll, die, they'll experience something. And then you are part of that. And then that makes you no longer alone. It's you're part of this deep interconnected network of life and experiences and joy and sadness and pain and hardship. That was very poetic, Alexa. That was very poetic. And, and I think you're still saying the same thing. Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> do you choose to watch a movie or not? Because living in pure bliss, there is no movie. It's just the same as nothing. It is nothingness. Because pure bliss is nothingness. And is that bad? You've never been there. No, but... And a lot of people are... All Christians are working towards heaven. All Buddhists are working towards nirvana. But they've chosen, or and or, whether they've chosen or not chosen, I guess, people could choose to end their life. And I guess if they do, maybe people believe that would be maybe to like eternal damnation or something. But let's say that if you choose to end that, you're choosing to stop watching a movie. Don't you want to watch the movie and watch how you can change it? And so something... you're the hero of your own movie. How cool is that? This is very positive spin on looking at the world, I think. This is a positive, like I've suffered. If I can pass that on, then that gives me hope. It gives me the quality of bringing some joy to someone else mm -hmm. through my suffering. So at the moment, if we want to escape suffering, through these mechanisms I described, through the electrodes on the brain or taking drugs that give you unlimited happiness, yep. we're removing our desire. We no longer desire to eat, to sleep, to socialize. And this is what a lot of people, a lot of Buddhism is all different. They all interpret the, the meaning differently. They aim for removing desire. And when you remove desire, you make it to honor. And, and this is, I think, what you are a bit scared of. What if? I don't want anything anymore. So I think knowledge is the key that we can maintain our desire to spend time with amazing people who make us feel good, our desire to travel and a desire to learn and remove suffering knowledge. No, I definitely agree. Knowledge is, is so good to learn about your world around you and to learn about how to counter things and work towards things and change things and shift things. Whilst without knowledge, you're right, you'll be stuck in the same path. Because you don't know anything else. You don't know what you don't know. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. 
Okay. And Adam, I want to briefly, I know this is also a giant question <laughs> that would probably take um, quite a lot. Uh, actually, how would you manage stress is probably a good one. How do you manage stress and how do you manage trauma? Oh, both of them in uh, manage stress. So stress. So what is stress to start with? I'd say when you're experiencing adversity in your environment and Stress could also be impinged on adversity that you feel in your head. It might not mm. even be something you're experiencing. It's like, oh, if I don't make a million dollars, I'm not good enough. And therefore, I'm feeling stressed that I'm not working. So there's enough. two types of stress. There's the physical stress and emotional stress. Both is a form of suffering, right? We step on a nail. It, it's uncomfortable. It's, it, it stresses our body. We think negative thoughts. It makes us uncomfortable. It stresses our body. And then there's three... We could probably break stress down into three components. So there's anxiety. That's uncomfortable thoughts of the future. Oh, what's going to happen tomorrow? What if this? What if that? There's rumination, which is uncomfortable thoughts of the past. They're like, why did I do that? (laughs) How could, why this, why that? And then we've got uncomfortable thoughts of right now. Like right now, the worst is I'm about to die. You see? got a gun pointing at you, that's like going to be stressful, right? Or someone's about to beat you or someone's about to take something from you. So that's right in the present moment and that's trauma. So we've got anxiety, trauma, and rumination are the three components of stress. And how to manage them are all pretty similar. One is having good foundational beliefs. So if we've got good foundational beliefs, we have that thought of the future but our interpretation of it is that it's okay or good. The same with the past. We're like, hey, this happened to me yesterday and that's okay or good. As long as we're not interpreting, interpreting it as bad or really bad, then we can maintain our contentment. And the same with your present moment. Something's going to happen. And if you don't interpret it as terrible or bad, then you can be content. So having good foundational beliefs is one. The other one is good emotional control. So... When we see something and so we still need to be motivated, right? So something happened yesterday that we can learn from. If we can learn from it, then it's going to cause some uncomfortable feeling to push us to learn from that, right? So what could be an example? Yesterday, we accidentally walked in. I walked into the women's toilet. (laughs) That gives me some uncomfortable feeling, but enough that next time I'm going to be more careful to look at the sign before I walk in there, <laughs> Yep. right? And so this is when we need emotional control, that we don't let our, our emotions run wild with that. And we can do that by strengthening the connectivity in our prefrontal cortex, strengthening the control the prefrontal cortex has over the amygdala, reducing the sensitivity of the amygdala. And generally all th- three of those can be achieved with tensional mindfulness. Mm-hmm. So that's that very specific type of the other one is desensitizing this, the uh, sympathetic nervous, nervous system, which can also make us more emotional. Yeah, we've got having good foundational beliefs, having emotional control. What's the other one? Oh, there's so much to know. Yeah. And the other one is removing stress. So solving the problem. So quite often it, it might be solving the problem as in, okay, yesterday I walked into the women's toilet accidentally. That was embarrassing. What am I going to do so that doesn't happen again? Okay, next time I'm going to look for the sign and not just feel my way. I'm going to do this differently so I've solved that problem. Or tomorrow I've got this event coming up and 
if I stuff it up, then I'm never going to achieve my goal. If we can solve that problem by saying, hey, if I stuff it up, this is how I'm going to achieve that goal. We've got a solution. And the same with trauma in the moment. So if we can find a solution, then that's the other way we can uh, manage our stress. And to find a solution, often that is through knowledge. So the more we can learn, the better we can find solutions. Mm, Love it. Love it, love it, love it. Unfortunately, we are slowly running out of time, so we might have to have another podcast at some point to tapple into these a little bit more. But I really want to just summarize with a few things. So one, what take-home tools, obviously throughout this whole podcast, we've gone through step-by-step pointers and how you everyone can alleviate anxiety or anything like that and improve their well-being. What quick take-home tools can people use? And you're writing this book on happiness. Just briefly tell everyone a little bit about the details of this book, where they can get it, where they can learn more about you. The take-home message. Yeah, it's, I think the take-home message, oh, it's so hard. Maybe we could go back to where we started. The take-home message is probably get the right food, get the right sleep, get the right exercise, socialize well. Mix some novelty in there and get your beliefs right. Get the good foundational beliefs and you'll be pretty well set. In order to get all that, you need to learn. Constantly be seeking knowledge. So read books. Read books on all the components of happiness. And so I haven't found a book that ties this all together. That's why I'm writing one. But if you can read books on the right foods to manage your serotonin, dopamine and oxytocin, Read about exercise and what exercises and how much and when. Read about socializing, how to build better relationships. Read about what you haven't experienced. Find new experiences, find some novelty. And then read about beliefs, how to change them, how to identify them, what good foundational beliefs are. Awesome. Read about emotional control. And so, yeah, if you want to find more about me, Google Adam Brownlee. I will search up Train to Joy. That's my social handle. Awesome. Train to Joy or Adam Brownlee. Awesome. Guys, I'm going to link all of that in the show notes below. Definitely do check it out. And when is your book going to come out? When can we expect to read it? ASAP. Yeah, it depends what the editor She's giving me a report on Monday. So I don't know what to expect. She could say, hey, just do it again. (laughs) She could say, hey, just fix these few things and, and then finally a publisher. So yeah, if anyone out there knows how to get a great book published, let me know. And yeah, find a publisher. I don't know. It could be maybe next Christmas. Awesome. Maybe not this Christmas. (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks so much, guys, for tuning in. I really appreciate it. And hopefully you've got some awesome take-home messages that'll help change your life. I know I have. So thank you so much, Adam, for joining us today.